Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spire, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Well, uh, it is somehow, shockingly, that time again. Uh, 2021 is just literally flying by and uh, it's time for us to start team previews again because uh, football's back in three months, y'all. So Yeah, remember last year when we just crawled through the offseason? A week at a time waiting for something to happen. I feel like we have a uh, we got spring football. We got well, we have other rice related news to talk about today. Non football. But it's just, there's been a lot going on, man. It's fun. Yeah, it's um, it's wild that it's here so fast. But but here we are. Um, So we do have we will be welcoming on uh, our pal Jared Kalmus from Underdog Dynasty to talk UTSA with us uh, in just a few minutes. But first, we do have some uh, some actual some notable news here um rice has uh, i believe we noted last time um that um the team the program had parted ways with coach matt braga um and today a couple of hours before recording we got the news that uh rice's next head baseball coach is uh alum and former owls star jose cruz jr yeah actually i think what had happened is the timing on our previous podcast i think we had just recorded or, or or something like that when uh, they parted ways with Coach Braga. And so it wasn't in our previous recorded episode. And then before we could record another show, they hired the new guy. And uh, we were we were just talking earlier and in, in pre-record that uh, we, we might not be baseball gurus, but uh, pretty exciting to have a name that everybody recognizes coming back to, to campus and... I mean, I say back to campus, I literally would walk past him at Reckling Park weekly because, of course, his sons <laughs> are are, are yeah. and, and were playing here. So it, it, he hasn't exactly gone very far. Uh, but yeah, Jose Cruz Jr., I believe he was a hitting assistant with the Detroit Tigers. Well, I guess he was hired in the end of last year. So he'd been a hitting assistant there for six months, eight months, something like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. He's making his um, way back to college ball. Followed Trey into the Tigers organization, and then uh, now can you a... bring Trey back? Yeah, that Is would that be a, nice. A package deal? Can we take both? <laughs> as, uh, he'll have one son because I believe uh, Antonio is still, is going to be uh, in his senior year this year. But uh, yeah, if you want to bring Trey back with him, uh, I think Trey's got another year of eligibility, right? So just uh, sure. you know, Is that how come it works? on, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty wild, and I think it was interesting because when they made the announcement that they were going out and starting a new coaching search. Of course, Rice didn't announce, here's our list. Uh, but the candidates that were kind of pulled out there was an interesting group. It was it was basically a bunch of assistants that were notable names and folks with ties to Rice. Uh, I know Lance Berkman was brought up by, by several. Pat Hallmark with UTSA w- w- was mentioned. Uh, Jose Cruz Jr. was... Not on most people's radars, I don't believe, nope. which kind of came mine. out of the blue, but in a very refreshing way, because as I've kind of, you know, talked with Rice fans and folks throughout the day, I, it doesn't seem like anybody is has much heartburn. Everyone's pretty, pretty happy uh, with the hire. And I think that's that's a good sign. Yeah, no. And and one thing that um, that kind of, you know, it did feel sort of out of left field, but like, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, 
the good feeling I have is that um, even though his coaching track record is not long, it's not as though that this is sort of a pattern for this athletic department, right? Like the the hires that have been made under this this administration. Um, They've been it, criticized for not going into the family enough. Right. Yeah, no, I was told that uh, Rice had alienated all the athletics alumni. Uh, so <laughs> it, there's at least one that uh, clearly is not too alienated by the uh, by the athletic department. But um, yeah, so it, this is not a well that that Joe Carlgaard has gone to all of the time. And I think just the fact that that has not been the usual case. There are certainly athletic departments and programs around the country where staying in the family too much has been uh, a repeated misstep, shall we say. And the fact that this is not the usual MO suggests to me that they had a lot of confidence that he is going to do a really good job and was not just like, we need a name, you know, we need a Wayne Graham guy, a a Rice guy. It, It was that there is confidence that this is actually the best hire and not just a a move to stay within the family and reclaim the glory days, even though obviously want to reclaim the glory days. (laughs) Which he remembers quite fondly as participating and being a part Mm -hmm. of that. And I think it's notable, too, that because of how it worked out with the transition from Graham to Braga and now to Cruz Jr., that there was first he didn't have to follow Graham because no one wants to follow the legend. I think Mm -hmm. Braga unfortunately had to learn that the hard way and then because there was the that interim period where rice went with you know arguably that was braga's team at tennessee tech had just come off a a super regional appearance where they were what three outs two outs uh, from going to the college world Mm -hmm. series and being texas and austin so he was kind of uh, the the rising name in the industry for so to speak so so rice went to that well and, and and it did not work out decided to make the change and now they're going back to the in the family someone with proven success that knows this university that knows the city of houston like he grew up played at at bel air high school Uh, this is a houstonian through and through ended his career major league career with the astros so has that component down has the history with rice and we know he knows baseball (laughs) yeah he's been in the game uh, for uh, what 20 30 years at this point and, and various stops and you know probably could have continued to climb the major league ranks had he not had this opportunity to come back for rice so i think it lines up pretty well i'm if nothing else i want to get back out to reckling park and watch baseball and you know for for other names that they could have hired that i might not have have been on my radar two months ago jose cruz jr certainly is and that's gonna sell tickets and, and hopefully you know, bring a a level of consistency, like you mentioned, to Rice baseball from when he was here previously. Yeah. Well, and it's nice also that he has the, you know, it's not just hiring someone, oh, you know, this was the one of the first great players under Wayne Graham, and, you know, we're going to reclaim the glory days and all that. But, like, this is a guy who has recent ties to the program with Trey and Antonio, who has been here and seen you know, the transition between seen sort of the end of the Graham era and the way the program was kind of in decline then and then what's been going on the last couple of years. So uh, I like that there's a full perspective of both what the reality of the program is now and what it was then and hopefully, uh, you know, kind of a fresh view on on how they can and get back to the success that they uh, I'm excited. It seems like a it's a 
early reviews are positive, but uh, I guess the hard part starts now. Yeah, as with everybody, you have to go win on the field. So uh, if nothing else, we will uh, we'll get Trey Cruz back in the fold and get the whole Cruz family. There, there's a couple of them. Yeah. Can uh, <laughs> Uncle come up and uh, swing swing the stick one more time? I wouldn't yeah, just, mind. Just they, there's the there are worse families to tie your wagon to. Hitch your <laughs> wagon. Forgive my Texan. <laughs> uh, well, all right. I think that uh, wraps up our quick uh, news roundup here. So uh, we'll go over and bring on bring on Jared and uh, start talking UTSA. Start previewing the 2021 football season. All right, we are here now with Jared Kalmas, our friend from over at Underdog Dynasty, uh, here to talk all things UTSA with us. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It's it's always uh, such a blast to be on the pod with you guys. So I appreciate you welcoming me back. And, uh, I'm sure we're going to have a tremendous time. We didn't even pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such enthusiasm. We appreciate I, it. You know, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. Uh, in fact, I think like we stayed on the line for like another like 20 or 30 minutes after the last time I was on the podcast. We did, so. yeah. yeah. I don't even remember what we talked about. I don't either. I don't know. That was 100 years ago in COVID time. So. Right. <laughs> I keep telling people like 2020 never happened. 2019 was, you know, 24 plus months long. I can relate to that. Yeah. Like March 2020 lasted for about six months. And then, I don't know, it feels like since then it's just been like, I don't know, we snapped our fingers and 2021 is half over. But exactly. here we are, I guess. But but for the sake of the UTSA football program which we, we did bring you on to talk about a little bit. It, it was probably good to, I don't know if good is the word, but it was fortunate to some degree that some Definitely. of 2020 happened. Uh, can, you, it's... can you lead us off with your uh, your 60-second, 30-second state of the program about UTSA and, and where everything is, has been and going? So, you know, you hate to use the word lucky to describe UTSA last season because their fate was kind of in their hands as far as like testing positive for COVID. Um, you know, you heard a lot of stories about teams that get a whole position group wiped out because a couple of guys went out to a party and they weren't wearing masks and then suddenly half the team tests positive. So, you know, UTSA played a lot of games where they were pretty much fully healthy, had everyone available and, you know, they're kind of at an advantage because the teams were missing key players. And that was not to say that UTSA didn't face any, any hardship due to COVID, but uh, they definitely were less impacted when it came to con- contact tracing and, and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I've kind of been tying that to the program culture, right? So, so Jeff Taylor comes in, you know, his first year as a Division One head coach, and the guys have really brought in, bought into his vision. And to do that in a COVID year is, you know, even more impressive that uh, the guys didn't really have much of a relationship with his coach. Uh, they didn't have any spring practice to, to learn uh, Coach Trailer's system and, and the coordinator system, and somehow still found a way to make it work, and had you know one of the most uh, productive and successful seasons in UTSA football's very very short history. So it was a strange year, and you know as, as I'm sure we'll talk later, UTSA brings back pretty much every player from last season. So we're gonna see how much of the 2020 season was UTSA being better than expected, and this coaching staff being great, and some of these players being exceptional versus it was COVID and, you know, nothing really mattered and it's hard to, to draw any analysis or conclusions out of it. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I, I'm kind of still on the fence on, on where I think UTSA is going to end up on that spectrum. 
Yeah, you mentioned first year coach Jeff Trailer. I'm I'm going through my head right now and I I can't it's probably a short list, but I can't think of a first year division one head coach that had a better first season than Jeff Trailer in my memory. You just you don't come in and win that many games and come a strange tiebreaker away from playing for a conference championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially when you consider the fact that you know, Trailer didn't have a spring program to work with. I mean, that's super critical. It's part of the reason why uh, Old Dominion, you know, sat out last season. Is you know, they were saying we didn't get a spring, we haven't been able to implement our system, and we'd rather just practice internally and, and, and get those mental reps and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's super impressive. But from a UTS perspective, you know, you think back to Frank Wilson uh, when Frank Wilson was the head coach. His first year at UTSA was just the same as Jeff Trailers. You know, he came in, he inherited some good players. Brought us some good transfers, just like Trailer did, and managed to take UTSA to a bowl game in his first year. Um, so everyone was super high on Frank Wilson. You know, his name was getting tied to the Baylor job. Uh, was getting tied to the Ole Miss job. Oh man, that's a throwback. I know, oh. right? And it's it's easy to forget that you know you can't really judge a coach off the first year, and usually you can't judge them because they don't win a lot of games. But sometimes it's the opposite, right? Like it's not your players that you're playing with. You know, the other coaching staffs in the conference, they don't know your system. They don't have film on you. They don't know your guys. So, well, and it's, it, it, it also just shows how quickly fortunes can turn. And if you, if you're, yeah. you know, you're a coach in this league and you're looking to, I don't know, take advantage of a hot streak um, and, and kind of move up, you, the window is so short. I mean, think about Look, the way people were talking about Seth Luttrell a couple of years ago. I was going to say, you, you don't to want your, to pull a Seth Luttrell. Yep. Yep. Yep, yeah, absolutely. we'll get to him in a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, I'll tune into that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, we had to start on the top. And uh, and I guess you mentioned uh, a little bit of luck, a little bit of good things. But honestly, if you just have Sincere McCormick, do you need anything else? Man, what a what an athlete. I mean, some of the cuts and some of the runs that he had last season are, are still just like, I can't believe a guy like that plays at a school like UTSA. You know what I mean? His explosion and his ability to make something out of nothing is is really, really unique. Um, he's just one of those guys, you know, I think back to like Meek Robertson at Louisiana Tech, like if he was two inches taller, there was just no way he would ever be caught dead on a Conference USA roster. Yeah, and I want some credit. I believe either last year or previously, I, I was singing McCormick's praises and saying he was going to be a big deal. Uh, yeah, you get all the credit. Back, back in the day. You. Now, if he could mosey along down I-10, <laughs> maybe not, but we'll see. So we, we already knew McCormick was a sure thing. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not. Now he is. Now I'm pretty sure he's going to be first team all-conference in just about every list. But uh, a- anything else? You mentioned a lot of guys coming back. Uh, what kind of stood out now that there was a spring and you did get a little bit of spring practice? I guess Trailer's first spring practice a year in. Uh, anything notable stand out? Any questions remaining? about this roster about this team you know i was joking with some friends recently that the spring session was really boring and i'm sure that's usually the case at alabama and that's usually the case at at boise and that's usually the case at ucf and stuff but we're not used to that at utsa you know usually at utsa there's not just a qb1 position battle going on but there's also a qb2 qb3 position battle going on um there's usually transfers coming in that are make or break you know either this guy is 
going to play at a high level and he's going to sustain this position group or UTSA is just kind of out of luck at that position. Um, that's really not the case for them over the spring. You know, it's, it was more about expanding the playbook, you know, because like I said, they didn't have the spring last year to implement stuff. So they're kind of playing catch up schematically um, and a lot of building depth as well. Um, you know, there were some guys that played so much through the fall that, you know, Coach Trailer made the decision to pretty much just hold them out of spring, you know, limited reps. Sincere obviously is one of those guys. Like, what, what, what can you see from Sincere McCormick in spring ball that is going to change your opinion about him? You know what I mean? Um, but I think the things that stood out to me were that, um, you know, I thought that the depth on the offensive line was super good. I'm not sure if that's still the case because they, they did – um, have some injuries in the spring. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. I think they might still grab a Juco guy or a transfer if they can. But, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I, I think we know who the playmakers are. Uh, we know what the starting lineup is going to look like. Um, you know, Frank Harris looked like the best version of himself I've ever seen. Um, and, of course, as everyone knows, it just comes down to his health and his ability to to withstand hits, right? Um, so that's really going to be, I think, the, probably the biggest key to UTSA season is, is the health of the quarterback position. Um, is this the Frank Harris hype season? Because you, you'll forgive me, I, I've heard this song before. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, he will have those games that show that it's fair, right? But a lot of times he's out there and he's limping around and, you know, he's obviously not at 100%. So can he play a full 12, 13, 14 game season? feels weird to say that about UTSA playing a 14-game <laughs> season, <laughs> but it's a possibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the main thing, right? I, I mean, gosh, you look at what UTSA accomplished last year, and the fact that they played like four or five different quarterbacks is like unbelievable. Um, shows a lot of resilience. Hopefully they just play one or two and maybe three in mop-up duty. But Yeah, didn't like Josh Atkins start a game? Josh Atkins, um, I think, came in... For Frank the, Harris. The crazy no, no, no. Someone middle, called middle Jordan Weeks through 27 passes. Yes. <laughs> for 2.7 yards in attempt. Whoopee. Yeah, and he's the pocket passer on the roster, which, which is wild. It's not um, good. I'm trying to remember the injury timeline. If I remember correctly, one Harris got hurt, and then I think Atkins came in like the second play of the game against UAB and broke his collarbone, like his first pass attempt. And then I think Lowell Narcisse came in after that and played pretty well. And then he got hurt at BYU after having a career performance where UTSA almost, you know, pulled a ranked upset win for the first time in program history. Um, then, like you said, Weeks was in there. Then Harris came back. I mean, it's just a total revolving door, right? And it's just so hard to build chemistry with your offense and, uh, you know, really play at a super high level when, when you're changing your signal caller that often. So that's... Probably the main question on offense, you know, I think other than that, can they sustain a couple of injuries that may pop up on the offensive line, but uh, pretty good shape in literally every other position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you mentioned, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I was looking down the, the roster and, and swapping notes with you. From what I can tell, Brennan Dingle, wide receiver, is... The, he had caught 27 balls last year for 266 yards and two touchdowns. He is the only player on offense that is not coming back. I think you're right. Like, legitimately. You the only, say, only, only one that really had any production to his name. Right. Returns 100% of all passing attempts, 99% of rushing attempts, 87% of all receptions. 
100% of passing and rushing touchdowns and 88% of all receiving touchdowns. And That's what like really... what programs do from the spring to the fall, not season <laughs> to season. <laughs> That's so true. And you know the craziest thing about it all? I mean, as you guys and the listeners probably know that, you know, they're doing the super senior thing where, you know, last year essentially didn't count for your eligibility and you can come back for a, a sixth year, fifth year, seventh year, wherever you're at. Um, UTSA was extremely liberal in making the most of that uh, to the point where they're, they're bringing back, um, I, I can't remember what they call it, you know, like the big guy that blocks on punts. Um, like the shield, I think they call, uh, you know, backup offensive guard, like they're using a scholarship to bring that guy back for another year. So if, if that doesn't show how much this is like a, a win at any cost season for UTSA and like they're, they're willing to gamble to, to have a really big season, I, I think that's a great example of it. You know, they're bringing back a third string defensive end. I mean, pretty much any, any senior that wanted to come back was welcome back with open arms. So, it's really interesting, and we'll see how that plays out, not only this year, but but long-term as well, because you know it does kind of mess with the numbers a little bit as far as classifications go. I still don't know what they're going to do. As of now, the rule is that you have to be back to 85 by 2022. So, you know, it, it'll be fine with you, with all of the, the guys that were, that'll be the six-year seniors this year, or the, that are, they're finally, that would have been seniors last year, but... That extra year of eligibility applied to everyone, mm-hmm. not just the seniors. So, right. like, I don't know. I, I was just listening to to a podcast like with Bud Elliott on it, talking about what the the numbers are going to be like in those situations. And apparently, there are lots of teams that are just like they're signing like six high school players this year. Yep. Like, um, I think Texas State just brought in like they brought in entirely transfers. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I don't think they've signed a single high school player. Texas State hasn't had a commitment from a high school player in over 700 days. That is, is it that insane? That's Spavital? That's Spav, baby. Oh, man. I, I could do a whole podcast on that. That, <laughs> that, that is a choice. Okay, maybe it's 500 days. I don't know, but it, it's an absorbent, incomprehensible. Man, I don't even remember what I was going to ask at that point. Now I've. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, on the transfer note, it is interesting because I know. Mike Bloomgren at Rice has, has already made note that this is going to be a smaller class. A- at one point, I think he said that, that there's a chance it could be single digits. Uh, so I, I know that coaches across the country are already kind of yeah. doing the math and realizing there are not enough scholarships left to go around and do all these things. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, UTSA has kind of been slow playing their 2022 class, uh, whereas like this time last year, I think they were already up to like four or five commits. Um, and they just took their first one. And it seems like there's guys that are ready to commit. And it seems like UTSA is kind of trying to take it slow. Um, and maybe because they're trying to figure out how many slots they actually have to use, maybe they're realizing that they're, <laughs> they're going to have to you know, do some pretty difficult math to, to hit those numbers in, in future years. Yeah, I just pulled it up right now. Southern Miss for the 2022 class has nine commitments. It, because I think they also lost 80% of their roster last year, or mm-hmm. it felt like it. Uh, none of those are rated on the 247 composite. Mm, so uh, it is what it is. Marshall has four, Rice, North Texas, Louisiana Tech, Western Kentucky, two apiece. So by and large, it's very, very small recruiting classes across the board in Conference USA. Which Yeah, you know, if you think about it too, there's going to be a lot of guys coming out of JUCO like a year or two from now. They're going to be absolute studs that 
yeah. got slept on because schools just like weren't filling up their scholarships with, with high school players. Like I saw one estimate that there's going to be like 500 fewer FBS scholarships given out for wow. the 2022 recruiting class, which means you're going to have a whole lot like, well, apparently a bunch of prep schools are opening. Yeah. That are going to, that are guys that are going to do like a, a gap year. And then you're going to have a whole lot of guys um, that, are FBS caliber players that just aren't going to get offers that are going to choose to do JUCO instead of going to FCS or something like that. And the, this JUCO, the next like couple years of JUCO classes are going to be insane. Right. And I think like division two FCS schools are going to be stronger than ever too. So that, that'll be interesting to see if like there's any crazy upsets. Hey, in, in state national champion, Sam Houston. That's right, baby. Yeah. I'm just first, saying. First division one championship in the state of Texas since the, the Rose Bowl with Vince Young. God, it's depressing. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, is this because oh, yeah, Mary, yeah. Mary Hart and Baylor had theirs like disqualified or something like well, that? Well, they're Division Three. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Not, okay. Yeah, and like AM Commerce, I think, won when they were Division Two. Yep. So. Okay. Breaking down the divisional technicalities here. I like it. <laughs> Getting into the weeds. You got to be careful when you find me on the podcast because <laughs> you think you're going to talk about Sincere McCormick and we end up talking about how many high school players. Mary Harden Baylor's recruiting, and they're hey, you know, we'll get there. We gotta, we gotta, as we mentioned, it's June. We're, we're it's we got some season. time. It's talking season. Yep. Not quite. I guess we will have media days again this year. That I guess we'll find out. But uh, yeah, so we hit on offense. I will bring us back on track just a little bit, ever so slightly, uh, to talk about the defense. Uh, I think we've talked about sincere mccormick it was pretty easy just to watch him run and that was kind of the story for utsa and how things worked Uh, but the defense was pretty good Uh, better than it has been at least probably more consistent Uh, where do you where's everybody stand on that front and uh, i guess new defensive coordinator new scheme being brought in Uh, what's kind of your perspective could that actually be an asset to this team this year after just kind of being there yeah, so I'm not sure. So it, this, the scheme shouldn't really change um, because they're doing a co-coordinator deal with the former defensive line coach. And I think, um, I can't remember what position the, the other assistant was was coaching, but it's like two in-house guys. Essentially elevated the run game defensive coordinator and the passing game defensive coordinator. Um, so scheme-wise, should be pretty similar. But I think the thing on defense that's going to be most interesting is last year, interior linebacker was... UTSA is Achilles heel. Um, so they had a nice surprise um, in uh, freshman linebacker. Oh man, offseason. I'm at a, I'm at a brain shape. <laughs> um, <laughs> but their freshman linebacker, let's go on through the roster. No, I, I will tell you, somebody had me come on the radio to talk rice a couple weeks ago, and I literally had to go refresh my notes and go look at it. I'm like, who are these players again? I know I cover them, but. Uh, yeah, so my, my brain crapped out because he wears number 88 as a linebacker. So I was like looking at 30 through 50. <laughs> but uh, Jamal Liggett had a really strong season as a true freshman last year. And, you know, he's a guy that mostly played tight end in high school. And, and he was great. Um, but past that, I mean, there was almost zero depth to speak of. There, there were a couple of sophomores that, you know, Frank Wilson had recruited that were highly rated, but they showed a flashes here and there, but never really materialized. So it was just super, super thin at interior linebacker. So you know, everyone knew that for this team to take the next step, that position had to get a lot deeper. 
And it's gotten to the point now where there's speculation that Jamal Ligon, who was the starter and middle linebacker, may actually move to like a pass rushing specialist now, which is insane. Um, they grabbed two transfers from Kansas, uh, Denzel Feaster and Drew Prox. Uh, so Feaster was mostly a backup for Kansas, but you know he was he was okay. Uh, but Drew Prox was a uh, he was a starter for them. I, I think he started like the first three or four games last year and just pretty much immediately quit the team and put his name in the transfer portal because he's like, how do I get the hell out of Kansas ASAP? Um, Everyone so is doing that now, apparently. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so I I'm think still Prox, mad that they didn't hire Jeff Mark. Like Leipold's great, and clearly he can can take you know teams that are uh, are downtrodden and lift them sure. up. Like, you're Kansas, man. Just run the triple. Look, by the time that Leopold has that roster in a competitive enough shape to maybe beat, uh, you know, a lower tier Big 12 team, he's going to be like 68 years old or something like that. So, you know, the window is going to be very, very short for him. I guess Monkin's an older guy too, but he could have won immediately from the option. At least anyway. be entertaining. True. Um, but yeah, on top of that, they also got a Juco All-American middle linebacker, Noah Mitchell, to come in. He's looked really good. Um, and then in the spring, uh, this freshman, Caden Holt, was an early enrollee. And he really surprised myself as well as, you know, some people internally in the program. Just, you know, how he carried himself, uh, his physical ability as a freshman. Um, like, I can't remember who it was, but one of the players in media availability was like, yeah, this guy got here and I just assumed he was a Juco transfer. Because he looks like a grown man. He came in mid-year. Um, so suddenly, I mean, that inside linebacker position looks like it should be pretty strong for UTSA. And uh, they should have some extra flexibility now to move guys, you know, around that defense and, you know, hopefully disguise the coverage a little bit better. Um, but really, that was like the only major question mark. I think the other thing for them other than that is a little bit more pass pressure. Um, they haven't had a guy on the roster that on third and long, you can just kind of expect them to get to the quarterback. Like, maybe not get the sack, but at least, you know, speed the throw up a little bit. Um, so they were really, really dependent on blitz packages uh, to, you know, make sure that there's pressure. If they could find a guy who can get uh, to the quarterback consistently without needing a blitz, then that really opens up the ceiling for this defense. Um, and they do have a Juco transfer, Jamori Robinson, who I think, had like 20 something offers coming out of high school, six foot six, 248. So if he makes it to campus, he might be that guy that can get, you know, 10 sacks in the season and catapult them to, you know, a higher tier of the defense. Marcus Davenport have any availability remaining? We wish, man. You wouldn't mind. I still haven't seen a player like him come through this conference yet. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. When you do it at the next level as well, he does something worked out. Mm hmm. All right, now I, I got a challenge for you. I want okay. you to rank the three levels of defense for, for UTSA, uh, however you care to. Your, your level of confidence, overall ability, how you think they'll perform, et cetera. Uh, linebackers, defensive line, secondary. Okay. okay. Defensive line, oh, do you want like a alphabetical grade or? No, just ra rank them. Which one's oh, going to be, which, which one are you most confident and least confident okay. in? Okay, I, I can't see any scenario where the defensive line is actively bad. I think at absolute worst, they would be average, maybe even above average. So I'd put them at the top. I'll put 
I, I think the linebackers have a higher ceiling, but they also have a lower floor. So I'm put secondary second, actually. Because um, think about Rashad Wilson there, who probably have enough interceptions to, you know, add a, a win or two <laughs> to, to the final, uh, final tally for the team. And then I'll do linebackers third. But I think they could end up jumping to that second spot if, if some of these transfers and um, early enrollees pan out. There's a lot of loosey-goosey math in there. We'll allow it. It's the offseason. <laughs> yeah. But you you did mention Rashad Wisdom. I think uh, as far as the UTSA defense goes, uh, too far to say the best player? I, I mean, it would be hard to really argue against that. I think there are guys that probably are better like pro prospects. But Wisdom has such a huge impact on, on nearly every game. You know, even his worst games, he still has one or two plays that can really turn the tide. You know what I mean? Um, so there's also the leadership aspect of it as well. I mean, he's still well-respected, not just on the roster, but also in the city of San Antonio. Like, he's very influential in the recruiting efforts, um, getting guys, especially out of the you know Judson football program, to, to come to UTSA. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you had to pick a defensive MVP, it'd probably be Rashad Wisdom. Do worse. And then I, I do want to... Get you on a, a big question, a big picture uh, question before we, we didn't, I don't think we told you this up front, but we do we are doing the light ring, lightning round again. Okay. So we'll, we'll run you through the gauntlet. But uh, as your, uh, yeah, there you go. As your primer before that, <laughs> uh, high level thoughts 2021 is successful for UTSA football if either win a bowl game and lose the division or win the division. The level of confidence to do either of those? Yeah. For me personally, I would say about 35%. Probably low for most UTSA fans, but I'm a skeptic. I was going to say, I was expecting, uh, based on the way some of your fans uh, ended the season uh, yeah. puffing out their chests on Twitter, I was expecting a little more uh, uh, braggadocio here. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I've been burned before, right? <laughs> after that, after yeah. that Frank Wilson year, I was very much like, UTSA is going to win 10 games. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, you know, the roster plays out pretty well for UTSA. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they were as good as, like, a lot of the fans on Twitter are saying. But, oh, man, like, yeah, last year was such an anomaly. Well, yeah, and I think it's, it's so ahead. weird, though, because just, like, like obviously UTSA returns an insane amount, of, like, maybe even an outlier among most teams. But, like, you know, as we talked about with the recruiting numbers, like, almost every CUSA school, aside from ones that are, you know, in transition because of, coaches and, and players hitting the portal like I mean Rice brought almost everybody back too like it's you know in a normal year you'd say holy crap this team got back 100% of their offense like they're gonna be great but everybody else brought back their entire defense so I I, mm-hmm. I will really be fascinated at, at every level of college football but particularly at in at the you know CUSA and and in certain other G5 leagues where almost every team brought back almost every player and normally you can use returning experience as such a like, you know, it's it's such a like primary indicator of like what does, you know, which direction is this is this mm-hmm. program headed relative to the previous year. But now, like, there's really no way to know because everybody is on almost the same level. And so it's hard to sort out, like, what does this do to the relative trajectories of, the, of these programs? 
and to that point, re- returning production is not always a good thing. Because like there have been years where New Mexico State like led the country in returning production, but none of those guys have any like real talent. You know? Wow! What I mean? Shots and... fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, Down so, go the like, Aggies. And UTSA's example, like maybe bringing back your your blocking specialist on your punt team, like prevents you from having a scholarship available to get a JUCO guy that could become a starter. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think what what makes UTSA so interesting for me is just going through and, and as I kind of work on the the season preview that'll be out next month, just kind of looking at the quarterback position across Conference USA and. You know, last year you had uh, Jack Abraham and you had, um, oh, I've already forgotten him, uh, Middle Tennessee, Asher O'Hara. Yep. Uh, you had Chris Reynolds at Charlotte. You had Chris Robinson at FAU. You, and I'm going to, Grant Wells wasn't a thing yet, but we kind of thought it was going to be a thing. Last year oh. there were so many programs in Conference USA that we're like, there's some good quarterbacks. You know, before Wells popped up, Isaiah Green was expected to be a really good quarterback for Marshall. So yeah. like, everyone thought Marshall was set at QB, and they were, but not from the guy that we thought was going to be the right. starter. That's true. But at this point last year, at least, when, Sorry, while we were debating... Asher O'Hara ended up at Sacramento State. Dude, I was going to ask you guys, okay, like, am, I crazy? Brother, am I crazy, or could he have done much better than that? Brother is there. I think uh, that was... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I'm reading. But also, like, there wasn't any other like I, I don't know. What I'm trying there to decide other- is if MTSU, if you're MTSU and Astro Hera comes to you and says, "Hey, uh, you should give my brother a scholarship," and they're like, "Now we're good," he's like, "Okay, I'm leaving." It's like, well, well, we, well, you are on punt team. Welcome aboard. Right. I, I know there was some drama in Middle Tennessee with their their offensive coordinator, and uh, he was beefing with stock still about covid and stuff like it seems like the situation there is pretty toxic so i see where o'hara would want to leave but i mean i just i i was shocked that you know uh even like a louisiana monroe or someone wouldn't wouldn't want him i mean i thought he was so tough and crazy talented i don't know i mean it makes sense hearing those brothers there but still i mean you would think you could get a package deal for those guys that i don't know San Jose I, I State, at least five or six Conference USA schools that would love to have Asher yeah, O'Hara right now. Yeah, well, FIU, like, good God! And this is like a thing that's going to happen. This is this like it was already starting to happen with just like the transfer portal and portal in general. But when you add in passing the one-time transfer rule and the extra eligibility from COVID and all of that coming together in one offseason, you're going to have a lot of guys that went in the portal this offseason that don't find places to go. Mm-hmm. At the FBS level, because there's just not the spots for them. Yeah, the math but, like, doesn't add up. Right. But I would not have guessed that Asher O'Hara would be one of those guys. Like, I mean, maybe he just really loves his brother that much and wants to play with him. Like, in which case, great. But like, uh, yeah, that that was surprising to me. Agreed. Yeah. But just the for the folks who are here, I thought this was interesting. Just kind of putting my charts together. OK, I'm going to read you. Uh, just for fun, the top five pass completions in Conference USA that are returning this year. <laughs> just for fun. Is, is UTSA going to have two or three guys on this list? No, nah, just one. Just okay. one. <laughs> so, so, so Grant Wells at Marshall, 165. Frank Harris at UTSA, 159. Luke Anthony, Louisiana Tech, 138. Gavin Hardison at UTEP, 108. And Austin Ani at North Texas, with 101. 
I know completing passes is not an indicator of being a good quarterback, but the fact that that is the list of the, by volume, the passers returning in Conference USA, it's not the most encouraging thing. Right. I mean, Anthony has such a severe leg injury. He might not be ready to start at the beginning of the season. And then Austin, I, I always forget, is it Ayun or Ayun? I, I thought I it was Ani. I think it's Ani. I think it's Ani. Yeah. And then he's got to hold off of like, a, like a UNC transfer or something like that, too. Yeah, which I'm not convinced he's going to do. Right. So. Oof, man, that's rough. I, I don't anticipate it being a strong year for the conference overall. Yeah, which just by by virtue of going down the list, that puts a healthy Frank Harris pretty safely in the top five quarterbacks in conference USA. And I am like processing those words out loud is, is wild to me. Mm-hmm. Even if Harris can't go, I, I feel more confident in Josh Atkins and the winners who's both than some of the guys on that list. I like, I'd rather have those guys over Hardison at Utah. I think rice fixed Lowell Narcisse, whatever what w- was loose. <laughs> he came onto the field against rice and then all of a sudden uh. had a career game. You just never know what you're going to get. That guy is a very unpredictable player, I'd say. But I forget how young he is, too. I mean, he was only a sophomore last year because he looks so old. And he's been at, like, three schools already. Yeah. I feel like, because he was the LSU transfer, right? Right, correct, correct. I feel like ago. he signed with them. Yeah, I feel like he signed with them in, like, 2015. Yeah. Um, I guess that does make me feel better about the state of Rice's quarterback room because we have some guys who have played some football, at least. So... Which, See how that goes. <laughs> we got time. It's June. <laughs> yeah. A tradition unlike any other. Rice <laughs> looking for a quarterback in the summer. So true. Oh, that rhymed. Oh, Mike Collins, you were the chosen one. All right. Oh, man, you can't win them all. Unless you're UTSA. No, no we're not there yet. Yeah, down. but I, I think it's interesting. I know. I'm I'm just, I'm rolling right now. But I, I do think it's interesting just... And that's kind of maybe we're going to do a little bit of Conference USA psychology here uh, <laughs> before before you get it out, because I, I, I think always an adventure in this. Conference, oh, I know, seriously, like, especially so like more like, I don't know, you know, people think, you know, SEC fans are crazy, like and sure, whatever. But like relative to the national profile of the conference, CUSA fans have some 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 fan bases. These are some fan bases with some issues. There's a lot of screws loose across this conference. <laughs> I don't agree on that. Uh, as someone who just recently moved into a, a new house with lots of screws loose, I'm, I'm you know, see, Conference USA might not have the uh, the outlets there to, to drill the screws <laughs> into. Yeah, I think that's that's adequate. Yep. I won't cast. I mean, you've already uh, you've already burned down FIU today, so <laughs> true. We'll leave that. We'll get Eric Henry on here. We'll see what he has to say. But I, I think it's interesting because I, I'm looking on paper and and you probably as someone who, who covers the team in addition to, you know, wanting to sit in the stands. And, and obviously everyone wants the team they cover to win. It makes life a lot easier, uh, but can be more level headed than a typical UTSA fan. Maybe uh, I try. I try. You try. You try. I think it's interesting because on paper, I know that basically people are going back and forth between UTSA and UAB to win the West, which just if you look at the rosters and what they did last season, that makes sense. 
Uh, but kind of like you alluded to, what Bill Clark has done and the track record he's had to just continually win. It, with Literally, he brought half of his team to Rice last year and still won, yeah. if that. Uh, it, there's some healthy skepticism in there, along with just general the Conference USA. Every fan has been burned by their own team, probably multiple. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in like a, a program, even if it's not the same players, a program has to play in big games before they know how to win big games. And UTSA hasn't played in a whole lot of big games in their history. And, you know, sometimes like, oh, this guy won a state championship in high school and stuff like that. But I, almost every college-level player, you know, did a lot of big stuff in high school. So, you know, that's why, for me, it's just, like, really hard to fully jump on the bus because I, I haven't seen them... Um, I guess, like, really accomplish anything that's more than just, like, we won a game that we weren't supposed to kind of deal, right? So when the spotlight's on your back and, and there's a target on you and people are spending extra hours in the film room trying to find your tendencies that they can take advantage of, it really changes the dynamic, right? It's easy to sneak up on people and, you know, throw a sucker punch when they're not looking, but, you know, can UTSA stand in the ring and go blow for blow for nine rounds, right? I mean, that's what we're all waiting to see, so... Yeah, there weren't many Conference USA coordinators that were game planning for UTSA last no, year. No, not at all. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, and I mean, also, they were probably like out sick with COVID too. So <laughs> there's just so many things that could have worked in UTSA's fever, favor that uh, fever. Uh, yeah, people had fevers from COVID. <laughs> um, but like, like I said earlier, I mean, how much of that was luck? How much is it going to be like? There's no way to know. I don't know. They ducked rice, so that was the, that was the answer. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, no, no comment, sir. <laughs> Before someone yells at me on Twitter, that was a joke. <laughs> someone will still yell at me on Twitter, so it doesn't matter. Like I said, it, it's UCSA fans. They will. There you go. Say nice things. All right. Well, uh, should we jump into the lightning round and and test you before we uh, let you go? Can I get a drum roll? Or I'm kidding. Let's do it. I'll add in a, a, a thunder sound effect here. Oh, man, you'll look professionals. I did it. I want so. some ACDC. <laughs> Can we do, like, what, four seconds of the, the riff before? Oh, you, want the, you want the riff from Thunderstruck? Yeah. Yeah. I think I can find that's, that. That's funny, because UTSA fans that I tailgate with have started a drinking game for Thunderstruck that they picked up from some Iowa State fans who came for the Alma Bowl. So, oh, I mean, is it, it, is it, is it Thunderdrunk? Because we played that at Rice. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I, I, from what I understand, it's like you just drink until they say thunder. and then Yes, that's it. Yeah, and okay. you, you really don't want to be caught on one of the long <laughs> instrumental breaks. As long as it's not inner Sandman. Well, now that getting is loud again at the Alma Dome, you don't get a chance to partake. We'll add it to the bucket list. Hey, I just want football in 2020 and preferably not to sit in a press box for a game that doesn't happen. Never going to mm. live that down. Uh, all right. Are we ready? Let's do it. Uh, please place what, what is the disclaimer. Put all, all your arms and hands inside the vehicle. And <laughs> here we go. Yeah. If you don't remember, and for those who might be listening for your first time, welcome. Uh, lightning round is pretty easy. We're going to give you a series of questions. Uh, you answer as quickly as you can. Right answers only. Wrong answers, uh, just they're not accepted. So um, here we go. Uh, off the top, who leads UTSA in touchdowns this year? Sincere McCormick. Easy. Who leads the team in sacks? Jamal Ligon. What player is not going to be on a preseason all-conference team, but should be? Should be? 
Oscar Cardenas. I don't even know who that is. Exactly. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. Uh, who's your team MVP in 2021? Team MVP, it's got to be Sincere McCormick again. I'm sorry. Not everyone has a Sincere McCormick. I know. It's not so boring. Okay, we're going to hold UTSA out of this. Oh, did you have something else? I was going to explain Oscar Cardenas because I don't think anyone's heard of the guy. He's a local recruit from the high school that's like right behind UTSA's campus. And uh, he was pretty much a pure pass or, yeah, just pure blocking tight end at the high school level. Um, but he was like primarily highlighted in the passing game through the spring. He's gotten a lot faster. Um, he looks the part. And from the looks of it, UTSA is going to go to tight end a lot. So I think he's a guy that ends up probably second team tight end. Um, there's usually not a whole lot of competition at the tight end position. So that's why I picked him as my kind of like wild card. That's why, because I've I've literally been spending the past several months pouring over UT, or UTSA and Conference USA depth charts and rosters, and I was like, I don't, I have no idea who that is. I've learned something today. He might have been great. on a few depth charts last year, but probably not a consistent, consistent second string guy last year. Well, it was a Rice podcast, so we need to learn something. That's the goal, yeah. right? <laughs> um, okay, uh, three left. Uh, if UTSA doesn't win Conference USA West. We're holding UTSA out. Who does? UAB. You sure about that? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. Uh, and if uh, UTSA doesn't win Conference USA as a whole, going bigger, uh, who does? UAB, somebody else? Um, well, I'm going to pick a team from the East for sportsmanship. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> I mean, oh, you said wrong answer. FIU. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go with Marshall. And their new head coach. Yeah. I like it. All right, uh, and closing on this, uh, it's 2024. Is Jeff Trailer the head coach at UTSA? No. Wow, that was quick. I think I think a school like Texas Tech is gonna is gonna eat him up. For a second, I thought you were gonna say Texas State. They might have an opening. <laughs> That'd be strange. Who who's gonna want to take that job? Okay, you come in here and you've got you know 80 dudes that we didn't recruit out of high school, and most of them only have a year of eligibility. I. <laughs> That's a that's a landmine for the next coach. I feel bad. David Beatty. No offense. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're saying like Beatty would take the Texas State job, or that? Well, I'm just saying he, he inherited that situation at Does, Kansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay him. Yeah, right. whoever, whoever, whoever takes that, that job is going to get the full Charlie Weiss. Yeah, um, yeah. As soon as you have, I mean, that, that's what happened to Everett Withers when he was at Texas State too. Like it took him three, four years to get the roster fixed, and then of course he had won like six games in four years. So then you're fired, right? Nature of the beast. Man, we. We've hit it all. Is there any other obscure college football topic that we, we need <laughs> you know, to know? You know, Withers is at FIU now, right? Oh, yeah. Is there such a head coach? That's a strange sport that we love. We should do a full, like, uh, remember some guys, Conference USA edition. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're doing this. Um, Bill <laughs> Connolly had a tweet earlier this week. He's like, what, what was the receiver that your alma mater played against that struck the most fear in your heart? And I was thinking of like all those really good receivers losing a tech had like that 2013 to 2015 run um, where they had a different like grad transfer quarterback every year, like Trent Taylor. Um, um, oh man. Uh, Henderson, I think was one Carlos Henderson. Didn't Jeff Driscoll end up at, at Louisiana yeah. Tech? Yeah. He was there for a year. Oh man. I'm thinking uh, Patton. Quentin Patton. Yep. Quentin Patton. There you go. I have my 
it's sad that that name is, is able to be recalled. Oh, man, he had 13 touchdowns in 2012. Holy smokes. Yeah, there you go. I think of like, like a guy from Tulsa when they were in CUSA and in those those couple years after um, Todd Graham left Rice and was at Tulsa. And there was one year they beat us like 63 to 20 or something like that. I'm trying to remember, like, was that when G.J. Kinney was it? Was it Tulsa? That would have been G.J. That's Kinney. That's a name. That's a name. Yeah. Right there. Yep. <laughs> that's that's a guy. <laughs> the uh, other the other one that comes to it is, it's another quarterback, not a receiver, but and and obviously many more people know his name. But um, oh crap! Now I've forgotten his name. Um, I'll say on that uh, Tulsa guy, team, Charles Clay Houston, was on um, that team. Uh, he was with both the Texans and the Vikings for a while. He was he was at U of H for like eight years. Case Keenum. Yes. Yeah. You forgot, I forgot Case Keenum. Case, I forgot Case Keenum. What city? Name, but... <laughs> That's not allowed, Carter. They're going to see you. We're going to ship you out of Dallas, man. <laughs> uh, I, I I have like consciously tried to block him from my memory because that was like at the peak. UH just just continually putting so many points on us all the time. Yeah, I was going to say he probably threw for. 25 touchdowns against Rice in his career or something like that. Or just on a particular Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And then he'd get another then he'd get another year of eligibility for like a broken toenail or something like that. <laughs> next year. One of the most underrated like college quarterbacks. Dude was just nails. Mm-hmm. Oh man. We've hit on some good ones. Anybody I'm missing? Who's who's your most obscure UTSA player that I need to go Google? <laughs> We did a uh, so I also have a UTSA podcast on Little Audible and my, my co-host and I and our Patreon we did a like a bracket of like most forgotten roadrunner. But to qualify, you couldn't just be like a walk-on who was on the roster for like one year, right? Like you had to have considerable playing time. So we ended up the number one selection was this guy named Frankie Anaya, and. I don't think that he played in Conference USA. I think he was in the whack years. Um, but he was solid, you know, good, dependable, defensive tackle. Um, big dude. He was like six foot two, two eighty. He had a pick six in one game. But what makes him really, really memorable is <laughs> he got a tattoo of the Roadrunner head, like uh, logo, uh-huh. on oh. his butt cheek. Oh, that yeah, so, that's real bold. That's this like guy is so under the radar. I can't remember. You can't Google him? No, I, I, I'm clearly not spelling it right, but I, Frankie Anaya UTSA returns nothing. It's uh, A-N-A-Y-A. Oh, there you go. Defensive tackle from California. Uh, Absolutely. A good rice selection here, um, which I don't know, may not be too obscure, but like deep rice heads, of which there are only so many, but uh, Cheddar Ozugwu, who was a pretty solid defensive end for rice he had four and a half sacks and ten and a half tackles for loss i did not remember that off the top of my head i'm looking at the sports reference page <laughs> uh yeah that was his junior year and then it was okay his senior year but he was mr irrelevant in the 2011 nfl draft oh wow by the texans actually did much more than bounce around roster fringes in the nfl but uh yeah there you go yeah this is this is a peak june podcast if i've ever heard one i love it i like it i imagine you have heard a few <laughs> yes i have 
Remember in some CUSA dudes. <laughs> I'll have to pitch this to Eric at Underdog and, and see if we can uh, get some together. Absolutely. You you better. We we, we will contribute. We'll all get right. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll, we can do a group BM or something. <laughs> But uh, before we do let you go, anything – you mentioned Alibo to audio, audio – I, I can't even talk anymore. We got time. It's only June. How long <laughs> can I use that? Another 20 days or so? Uh, you mentioned Alamo to out. Wow. Oh. Third time's a charm. I, I, I <laughs> All see this is staying in, Where do you way? talk we're, words we're better than working I? Working through the process on tape. <laughs> this can't cut it. Where, where where do we find you? Where do we follow you? Anything interesting you're working on that, that we need to know about? Yeah, sure. So, uh, like I said, I got the podcast, Alamo Audible. We're on, you know, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and, and all that good stuff. Uh, we got a Patreon as well. Uh, we do post free stuff as, as well on there, so you don't need to pay to see everything. Um, so, that's all my UTSA stuff is on there. And I am the Conference USA editor for Underdog Dynasty, so I've been doing a lot of kind of like big picture conference comparison type pieces throughout the offseason. Um, <clears throat> I did one on budgets recently that I thought was pretty interesting and, and got a good response on. Um, I'm working on another research piece uh, for this offseason to compare the staff sizes at different com- Conference USA schools and see if there's any correlation mm-hmm. to on-field success. So that, that should be fun. You guys can look out for that one. Um, but yeah, other than that, you can just find me on Twitter at Jared UTSA. If you want to see some crazy UTSA fan drama, I'll, uh, I'll retweet those every once in a while. That sounds like a conference we USA your horror film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to learn who, uh, Cardenas, Cardenas is, go follow Jared. Oh, that's, that's the deep insight. You're, you're not getting anywhere else. Man. The four stirring tight end bubbling up the Jeff chart. I, I got it. I'm all over it. I love it, man. This was fun as always. I'm sure yeah, we'll course. have uh, another reason to uh, talk in the near to distant future if time decides to go fast or slow, depending on how the next couple weeks go. But we have football, and uh, hopefully, we'll have a Rice and UTSA game somewhere this year to to argue about. It's in San Antonio this year, so there's no weather related delays. <laughs> And I won't get sunburned because I always get sunburned in Rice Stadium. That's that's a guarantee. Yeah, I believe it. You get up high enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Uh, thanks again to Jared for hopping on with us. Uh, we always have fun. Uh, just just going to the weirdest, strangest corners of, of <laughs> Conference USA and uh, yeah, same here. Thank you guys. Texas college football. So uh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, well, we'll look forward to having you back on soon. And uh, thanks thanks to everybody for listening through this episode with us and Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.